So do you remember, um, or anybody else get the Facebook memory notifications every morning? Yeah, about, about seven or so in the morning. You get those notifications, and then also Google Photo, if you use Google Photo, um, get a notification, hey, this happened, it's a memory you might want to relive. But, but do you remember what it feels like to actually touch a real photograph and to look at a real photograph? And particularly maybe if it's in an album or maybe even the smell of an album if it's been stored in certain places, that musty kind of book smell? Or do you remember what it looked, felt like to uh, kids? We used to have to have our pictures developed and you waited for weeks to get them back. And then it upgraded. It was just like a week, and that was like great. And then it was a day, and then it was an hour, and now we all have cameras on our phones and can instantly shoot them around the world. But we used to have to wait, and no longer. When I was in, in elementary school, I think I was in fourth grade, I was in the photography club. So yes, I was still a geek in the fourth grade. Love technology. I was in the, in the photography club, and my teacher, my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Turnow, was, was a part-time, he worked as a part-time photographer for the Tampa Tribune, and I was for sure that Mr. Turnow was famous, because he worked for the paper, you know. And uh, so I wanted to be in this club, and we learned how to take great pictures, and we learned how to frame just the right shot. And then we would get into the darkroom. We learned how to develop the film and, and make our own prints. And it was really cool to, to do that, but you had to wait to see how your pictures would come out. And there was a great amount of anticipation as you waited to see if you developed the film correctly to begin with. But then how would your shot come out? And as you were using the lights and the chemicals to make the prints, you know, depending on how much light you put in and how long they were in certain chemicals would increase the contrast and the darkness and hopefully you'd get a, at least a picture that was, was good. But we've lost some of that anticipation. My friend Reverend McGray de Vega at Hyde Park, he, he says that we have steadily removed the need to wait in our culture. We have proven over and over that we will just invent anything to reduce how long we have to wait for something to happen. In doing so, we have also diminished those moments of richness and fullness that only come with anticipation. There's something unique in the, the tension of the past and the future. Something when between the event that has already taken place, like a photograph, and the future reliving, remembering of that moment. You've already experienced it once, and you're reliving it, remembering it again. And I don't know about you, but sometimes the Christian holidays sometimes feel like that for me. You know, um, we've already been through this. We know, yeah, Jesus is born. You know, at Lent and Easter time, okay, we know Jesus is risen. We know the story. We've experienced the story. We know what's going to happen, but it's like looking at old photographs. When we have that experience, we relive, we remember that moment again. Advent's one of those seasons. It, uh, 
can be that kind of time where we're reliving a moment that we already know what's happening, a time when we are awaiting the already. Advent is the season, uh, the first season of our Christian year. Today marks on the calendar the beginning of our Christian year. Last week you had uh, Christ the King Sunday with Tracy. That's the last Sunday of the year. Today is the first. It goes for four Sundays up until sundown on Christmas Eve. It originated, we think, around in the the 5th century is the first recorded time. It probably happened before then, but the first recorded time where Advent was mentioned was in the 5th century. And it comes from the Latin eventus, which means coming or visit. It's a time of, that we prepare and we anticipate for the coming of the Christ. It's a time when we remember the longing that the Jewish people had for the coming Messiah and it's our own longing for our forgiveness of sins and our salvation and for a new, fresh beginning in our own lives. This uh, year for Advent, we're having a series called Awaiting the Already. We're going to be looking at the scriptures, all, all four gospels. We're going to be looking at them and their texts and scriptures that you've read many times. They're things that are going to be very familiar to you. And we're going to look at each of the Gospels that present the similar stories of Jesus' birth, but see what these authors have to say differently. It's kind of like the, the Gospel writers are our photographers, and we're going to see from what different angle, from what different focus, from what different viewpoint and vantage point are they shooting their story. The Gospel writers are our photographers, and, and we're going to be in the darkroom developing those prints to see how those pictures will come out this year for us. And each one of the gospel writers, each one of the authors, has a different focus, a different theme that leads us towards the birth of Jesus. I don't know about you all, but many times in the church we mash up these stories of these Advent, Christmas stories into a great scriptural mashup so that they can be played in 30 minutes on TV cartoons. So we hear about the angel coming to Mary and to Joseph and the wise men and the shepherds and all of this all mashed up into one story, but they occur throughout four different Gospels. Nowhere does all of the Christmas story appear in one place. We mash them up together and each different writer has a different intended purpose, a different intended audience, a different intended theme that they want to frame. Matthew, for example, would, would want us to confront the reality rather than to ignore the realities of our hurting world. Matthew would want us to, to just to say it like it is and to experience it like it is and to look for Jesus moving in this place already. Luke would want us to sing. Luke has some great songs of obedience and some songs of praise. And then even Luke has some experiences of silence. And without silence, you can't have music. Music occurs in the, the sounds and in the silence. More importantly, some would say it's in the silence. And John would want us to look at the light. 
John will want us to look at the light that shines in the darkness and then for us to be a vessel of light going out and sharing God's love to the world. But what about Mark? We're going to start with Mark. Mark happens to be the shortest gospel, 16 chapters. It's a, usually a recommended place to start because it's not only short chapters, short in total chapters, but short chapters to read. Mark is a just-the-facts kind of guy. He leaves out many of the familiar stories that we have come accustomed to. But what he does is it's very fast-paced. The stories he has go from one to another, scene to scene to scene. As we talked about during Lent and Easter time, when we examine the book of Mark, he uses the word immediately and next and straight away quite a bit to move from these different scenes. It's very action-packed. Mark is much more concerned about Jesus' deeds rather than Jesus' words. And so he has a lot of the miracles and the healings but he leaves out things like the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew or the Sermon on the Plain from, from Luke. He leaves those teachings out. But when he does use a good number of words, Mark provides vivid, great images that no other gospel provide. So since it's the first, it was written between 60 and 70 A.D., it's the first gospel, and, and Matthew and Luke use it as a basis for theirs. Many times you'll see Mark quoted directly from Matthew and Luke. Since it's the first, we're going to use it as our first Sunday in Advent and see what Mark has to say about the birth of Jesus. So for that, we're going to turn to the very beginning, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, God's Son happened just as it was written about in the prophecy of Isaiah. Look, I am sending you, sending my messenger before you. He will prepare your way. A voice sh shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John was in the wilderness calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. John's clothes were made from camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He announced, one stronger than I am is coming after me. I am not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And what does Mark have to say about the coming birth of Jesus? Nothing. Nada. Nunca, I guess, right? Absolutely nothing does he say about the birth of Jesus. And you would think for a, a significant event like the incarnation of God's Son, that is, the coming of Jesus in a human form to earth, you would think for a significant event like the incarnation, it would be an important thing to have in one of the gospel stories. And Mark would have something to say about it. But there's no Mary, there's no Joseph, there's, there's no manger, there's no cute little animals, 
no angels, no shepherds, no star. There's no wise men. What we get is some weird guy out in, out in the desert who wears uh, camel hair and leather and eats locusts and wild honey. He's the kind of guy that your mom would tell you to stay away from, kids, right? Don't go hang out with John the Baptist. He's kind of a weirdo. And then when we do see Jesus, we don't get cute, cuddly, wonderful little baby Jesus. We get grown-up, foley-bearded, 30-year-old Jesus. It's, it's like Mark. Jesus was Mark's like third or fourth child, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus was Mark's third or fourth child, and he takes no photographs of Jesus and writes nothing in the baby book, right? Guilty in our house. And Kara reminds us of that frequently. Nothing about Jesus' birth. So what lesson could we have on this first Sunday in Advent from the Gospel of Mark? Well, I think what Mark would want us to look at are three things. That we would slow down, we would turn around, and we would prepare the way to Jesus. So slow down. Verse 5 tells us that the people of Judea and Jerusalem went down. They slowed down their lives and they went down from Jerusalem down to Jericho. That's about a 15-mile walk. It's a treacherous walk along the ridge line. It's the same walk that we hear in the story of the Good Samaritan, where it was a dangerous path with robbers and, and people who wanted to do bad things to you. It's about an eight-hour journey one way. So they slowed down their lives enough to go to see John. And then they get there and they're, they're turning around. They're confessing their sins. They're changing their hearts. And they're preparing the way for Jesus by being baptized in the Jordan River. And then after all that, they have another eight-hour journey back to Jerusalem. So Mark would want us to slow down, to turn around, and to prepare the way for Jesus. Mark so wanted us to prepare the way for Jesus that he uses the word prepare in two uh, adjacent verses. In verse 2, he uses the word prepare, and again in verse 3, he uses the word prepare. And if, if you were an English teacher or an editor, you would probably tell Mark, you need to change one of those words because, you know, it's not good to repeat the same word right next to one another. You know, get the thesaurus out, find some other word for prepare, and, and it'll be better, it'll sound better. But we have, in verse 2 and 3, a repetition of the word prepare. Look, I am sending my messenger before you. He will prepare your way. A voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his way, make his paths straight. I mean, you know, the editor would say, he will prepare your way. A voice shouting in the wilderness, get ready for the Lord and make his path straight. I mean, we'd have some kind of variety of words, but Mark chooses to use 
prepare twice. And Mark's actually quoting not only Isaiah like he says, but he's also quoting Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 43 and uses those words prepare. But in the Greek language, in the Greek translation, those are actually two different words, and I'm not going to try to pronounce them because I'll just embarrass myself. I know they're two different words, though, because one starts with K and one starts with H. The first one in verse 2 says that, uh, has a sense of the meaning that we are to create and make and to construct something with, with great exactness and precision. It has very specific specifications of how it should be made. It's, it's like we're creating a vessel that is to be used, a, an ordinary vessel maybe to hold wine or water to carry something, or, or maybe making a tool or an implement that has a, has a tool die that has to meet very specific specifications. It's, in our world, I think if we translate it for us, it would be our willingness to, to allow ourselves to be shaped and molded by God. Shaped and molded into a certain kind of container that we would hold God's love. It's our willingness to be shaped and molded, our willingness to be made into some kind of specific container, something useful. The second prepare in verse 3 is used more in the New Testament, meaning to get ready for an event, like a, like a banquet or a party or some kind of celebration. We hear it in, in the parable of the great banquet where the master sends the servants out to the city and says, you know, go get all the people for the great banquet. As the table is set, it's ready. And the servant says, well, you know, I've invited everybody, but no one's coming. Well, go out further. Go out and invite the least and the last and the lost, the people that we don't usually invite. Go out further and invite more. That's the sense of this word prepare. It would be used in preparation for the Passover or in the Last Supper where Jesus tells the disciples to go prepare the room for the Passover. So this sense might be what we do, what we do to put ourselves in a position for God to work on us. In the first sense, the first prepare is our willingness to allow ourselves to be worked on and shaped and molded into a container. And then this one is, what are we going to do? How are we going to put ourselves in a position to experience God's love? So Mark would have us to slow down, to turn around, and to prepare the way for the Lord. Slow down, basically, and pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on. Enjoy the scenery. Smell the roses. To, to be in the moment. Anybody ever, spouses ever tell them that you're here, but you're not really here? That happens to me frequently. I'm present, but I'm not present. Slow down. Smell the roses. Enjoy the moment that is there. Because you're going to blink and the moment is going to be gone. You might say, be focused on being present, not buying presents. 
Now that's tweetable if you're a tweeter. Be focused on being present, not buying presents. Be present with God. Be present with yourself. Be present with others. But that's not really easy to do, especially in this season, this busy season of Christmas time. So how might we prepare? How might we prepare for this season of Advent that we're actually in? This, up until sundown on Christmas Eve, it's really the Advent season. We're not in Christmas. The world would tell us we're in Christmas season. We've been in Christmas season since Halloween, though, right? I got a, a, a kind of blatant two-by-four the other day. I noticed that uh, my Sirius XM satellite radio... Billy Joel station, somebody took it over and made it into the Holly station. So I was waiting to hear scenes from an Italian restaurant, and I got have a holly jolly Christmas instead. The world would have us move into this season of, of Christmas, but we're in really today beginning the season of Advent, this time of waiting and preparing for the coming, for the visit of the Christ child again. We know it's coming. It's already come, but we're going to experience it again. We're awaiting the already. So how might we do this? Four things I thought of. First would be for us to set time apart. This might be time where you can reflect on some scripture. On the back of the bulletin, which has the list of the events, it also has the list of, of the sermons and the, the scripture texts for each Sunday. So if you don't know what scripture to be reflecting on, that would be a, a good place to start. These are the Advent stories. Mark today. Next week, we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew and then Luke and then finally John. Those would be great texts to reflect on during each week of Advent. If you Want some more? There's different Bible apps. You can find some devotional texts to read and reflect on, or if you can't find any, I'd be happy to help you find some as well. So set some time apart. Reflect and read some scripture. Perhaps spend some time in prayer and, you know, just talk to God. And if you don't know what to say, maybe you can use the Lord's Prayer or some other prayer you, you may have. I love to find written prayers, or even better, just to sit in some silence. We don't have any silence in our world. So just tell Siri to set an alarm or set a timer for five minutes and, and sit and be for five minutes. So set some time apart. Secondly, I would say spend time with our loved ones. Be intentional and spend some time with our loved ones and be present in that time. You know, put our phones away, maybe turn off the TVs and the radio and and be present with one another. Thirdly, create or practice some traditions. I'm sure some of you have some great traditions that you practice this time of year, and, and we are eagerly awaiting some of our traditions. I think last year I shared with you, um, there's certain movies we like to watch. You have to watch Elf at least once. Um, you know, you have to watch, in my house, Christmas Vacation at least once. Um, we like to, on Christmas Eve, it's actually now it's shifted to the 23rd, 
Our tradition is that we get the great Christmas china out that we use once a year, but that's a whole other story. We have the Christmas china out, and on the 23rd, we'll go and we get McDonald's cheeseburgers and french fries and shakes. And we have McDonald's cheeseburgers, french fries, and shakes on the Christmas china. used to be our Christmas Eve tradition, but now it's with being in two different places, we had to adjust. But use your, your traditions, these things that you remember and you've practiced, maybe things from your childhood, or maybe you don't have any, and, and it's an opportunity to start some new. Ask your friends and neighbors, what, what traditions do you have? And start working them into your own, own life. Some of you know our, our son Ken is uh, in Tallahassee, and he's in a halfway program. Uh, he's doing great. He's in the last phase of his, of his time, and hopefully he'll be joining us down here, become a part of Grace in, in February or March. And, but he's living with, uh, with 15 other guys in this house. Many, most of them have come out of prison. They're 40 to 60 years old and didn't have great family lives growing up. And he's taken it upon himself to kind of be the guy who makes the dinner. And hey, we're gonna, all going to join around the table, and we're going to eat together. And the guys have been asking, well, why are we, why are we doing this? This is kind of weird. This is out of, we don't know what's happening. And well, so this is, because this is, this is what families do. You, you eat together around the table. And, and he's, he's trying to work in how he's going to, use some of our family traditions with these guys in Tallahassee who haven't had that kind of experience. And so this 22-year-old kid is going to be sharing family traditions with guys 40 to 60 who, who don't have any family traditions. And I just, those was, first we were like, is this our son? You're sure? This is Kenny, right? He caught some of that by just practicing those traditions with us. So set time apart, spend time with loved ones, create or practice traditions, and then lastly, say no to some extra things. Can you say that? Let's practice. Say no. Yeah. All right. Somebody's really good back there. All right. Except for when I call, then you say, okay, good. All right. No, seriously, we need to say no to some things. They're all good things, but we can't do every good thing. We can't do every good thing and set some time apart and spend time with loved ones and practice our traditions. We have to set some boundaries and say no to some things so that we can experience the season of waiting and preparing for the coming Christ child. It's not easy. But those are some suggestions, and I'm, I'm going to be, I'm preaching to the choir here, because I'm going to be trying to follow those things too myself, to create some spaces for myself, and to say no, and, and this is good enough, and I, you know, we need to move on. But it's for us to experience anew the, the story of the Christ child being born again in our lives. It's, we've seen the photos, or we've experienced the Christ shall be in bone, but now we're, we're reliving and remembering these photos. It's, it's like we're in the dark room. We're developing the prince again. And the season of Advent, we'll, we'll see how Advent develops 
within our souls this year? How will it be different than it was the last year or the year before? How is God going to be working deep in our souls to experience the Jesus who's already come? We get the opportunity this first Sunday, just kind of by luck of the calendar, that it's the first Sunday of Advent, but it's also the first Sunday of the month when we practice the sacrament of Holy Communion. And I was thinking about it, so when we do that, we prepare ourselves with the invitation, the confession, and the pardon. We're saying to God, we are willing to come to you. We've fallen short. We haven't loved our neighbor exactly how you have us to love your neighbor. We haven't heard the cry of the needy exactly how you want us to respond. We're, we're willingly putting ourselves saying, we need you, God, and shape and mold us into what you'd have us to be. Shape and mold us into this container of your love. The first prepare word. And then the second prepare word of preparing an event, a banquet, a party. The table has been set, friends. Someone has, has got, gathered the bread and gathered the juice and, and set the table. And by us coming together, we are also preparing and partaking of that event. This event that we, we have participated in before, but we're reliving again in this new photograph. It's an opportunity for us to say, not only, God, we, we need you to shape and mold us, but we're coming and putting ourselves in a position to be shaped and molded through this mysterious, wonderful sacrament of Holy Communion. You'll remember